Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Five to 41 this morning. Very famous account from God's Word about uh, a miracle Jesus did. Uh, we've sung about it a little bit this morning. Megan sang about it. Uh, when Jesus calms the storm. And uh, I've titled this sermon based on the question in the last verse. In verse 41, the disciples ask each other, what manner of man is this? We find out the answer to that question in the preceding verses. But there's also three other, three other questions and answers that are presented in this account. First of all, when do storms arise in the life of Jesus' followers? When do they arise uh, in the life of followers of the straight way? And when they do come into our life, what will be our response? And where are we going to seek assistance? And then finally, the third question is this. What will spark awe? What will spark awe? in the lives of a Jesus follower? These are all vital questions for a faith that is glorifying to God and good to us. Let's read Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. It says, And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships, and there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him, and they said unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, and he rebuked the wind. He said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, this Sunday when we can come and worship you. Thank you for this church family that you've made us a part of. God, as we look into your word this morning, there are storms in our life. Some, some of us might be going through one right now. Some of us might have just come out of one. Some of us might sense one on the horizon. And you've graciously, in this account, given us some lessons to learn about where those storms come from, when to expect them, what we should do in response to them, and ultimately, how we should glorify you. What will spark awe in our lives? What will spark worship in our lives? So I pray for the next few moments as we study your word together that your Holy Spirit that's present here in the lives of believers, I pray that he would illuminate the truth of your word to us. If there's one here, one watching that hasn't ever trusted Christ as Savior, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that they'd um, recognize that there's a sovereign Savior ready to deliver them from the storms that come into life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse one, uh, question one in verses 35 to 37, this uh, is what we, we learn. When do storms arise? 
When do storms arise in the life of Jesus' followers? And I want you to look at verse 35 to 36. We see the direction of the ship. It says, And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let's pass over to the other side. That's what Jesus says. And it says, And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. There was also with him other little ships. The same day. What day? Well, this is the day it began way back at the beginning of chapter 4. We've taken at least three Sundays to go through it so far. Uh, a day when Jesus was teaching, such a crowd had gathered around him that he, he felt kind of pressed upon, and so they put him in a boat. It was an interesting pulpit, but it, it worked in that situation. He sat offshore a little bit, and he, he preached from the boat to this great crowd. Uh, early in the morning, he started. Taught us about the sower, the seed, and the soil. I think that was three weeks ago, two weeks ago, we looked at uh, some other parables about God's word. And um, now, the day is over, night has come. And uh, Jesus gives them some direction. Um, he gives them direction to take the ship to the other side, according to verses 35 and 36. I don't know why he wanted to go there. It doesn't tell us in these verses. Maybe to minister over there on that side of the Sea of Galilee. He might have went there uh, because he's like, you know what? That's a quiet place. I need some time for prayer and to restore some intimacy in my relationship with God after a hectic, busy day of, of teaching. But he tells his disciples to go there. He might have been tired and just needed, so, needed a break. It says later he falls asleep on the ship. So I'm, I'm guessing that was the case, uh, at least one of the reasons. But the point of verses 35 and 36 here is that Jesus gave direction to his disciples, and they obeyed. And he gives you and I direction as well, and we're to obey too. Just like them, you and I, as followers of Jesus, we have an ordered direction. We even have an ordered destination. We're to follow Jesus and what he values and, and how he thinks and what he says and what he does. As Christians, we're called to be just what that name implies. It means little Christs. And we're to proceed in the direction he's told us to go until we get to our eternal destination. Isn't it wonderful to have that kind of purpose? To be a believer? Uh, we used to sing a song about that. It's wonderful to be a Christian. Life has meaning now and never had before. You know, and to, have, be a, to be a follower of Jesus, to have uh, this kind of purpose, direction, a destination, a definite one, so rare. I mean, we live in a world that's full of nihilistic, self-centered, meaninglessness to life. And the majority of people, they either don't know that life has meaning, they've come to the conclusion that it doesn't, or the only meaning that they can attribute to why they wake up every morning and why they're breathing is just to fulfill temporal desires. And God's word tells us, no, you have purpose. Your purpose is to glorify God. It's to live in relationship with him. It's to have the joy that he wants you to have. And we get that by following the straight way. We get that by following Jesus. He gives definite direction, definite destination for us. He told these disciples here where to go. And gave them direction, called them to a destination. But as wonderful and joyful as it is to have this kind of purpose, to know what God wants of us, to, to be obedient, they're being obedient, they set, started heading that way, set off across the sea. Does it mean that that is never without any storms? doesn't. They're obeying Jesus here. But what happened? We find in the next few verses the distress of the ship. Verse 37, it says, there arose a, a great storm of wind and waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. 
Uh, Wednesday night, Rodney was here showing us slides uh, and presenting like his trip to Israel, and it was pretty cool to see. Um, he showed pictures of the Sea of Galilee, and um, very mountainous right around it. I mean, it's not like a beach, like when we go down to the beach, um, as soon as you're on shore, maybe a little beach, but then boom, right up to mountains. And then uh, in between those mountains are valleys where wind comes through and sudden storms, very dangerous, perilous storms can happen in a second. And that's what we find here in verse, in verse 37. A great storm of wind arose and beat into the ship so that it was now full. Uh, waves are swamping this ship. This is a bad one. And the question is, when do storms arise? Well, and they, arrive, they arise when we follow Jesus, and they arise when we don't. Storms are just part of life. Um, you might be in the middle of one right now. You might just come through one. Might be one ahead. They happen to Jesus receivers and to Jesus rejectors alike. The difference, and it's a big difference, the difference is for the Jesus receiver, for the Jesus follower, it's all about who's on board with you in the storm. Or I think it's actually better who are you on board with in the storm. And we learn from this passage that even when we follow Jesus' direction, when we obey Jesus, even when we're headed to the destination that Jesus directs us to, that we're still going to encounter storms. Now, God's Word tells us there's a couple of causes for storms in our life, a couple of reasons. Sometimes storms come into your life because of disobedience. They do, when we don't do what God wants. That's not the case here, but we know that that is one of the reasons in Scripture. Look at Jonah. You remember that account from God's word? God told Jonah what to do, gave him a direction, gave him a destination. He was supposed to go to Nineveh and tell those people to preach the gospel, tell those people to repent and believe. What did Jonah say? I don't think I will. All right? And a storm came up. storm came up. Um, Yet even in that account, we see God's grace and mercy, don't we, when Jonah repented and when he confessed his sin. C.S. Lewis said this about Believers, whatever you do, whatever you do, God will make good of it. And that encouraging promise, that's what Romans 8, 28 tells us, that all things work together for good to them who love God. So whatever you do, God will make good of it. That's the beauty of grace. That even in my disobedience, even when a storm comes from my disobedience, that doesn't mean it's the end. That there's grace and mercy with God. And whatever I do, even, dis- even disobedience... If I turn to God, he'll make good of it. He'll take the mess I made, turn it into a message. He'll take the pain I'm caused myself, show me that it has purpose. Whatever you do, God will make good of it. But he may not do the good that he had prepared for you if you would have obeyed him. That's what Jonah had to learn the hard way. Let's learn from Jonah so that we don't have to learn it the hard way through experience. Sometimes, though, Storms come not from disobedience, they come from discipline. You think, what's the difference? There's a big difference. Discipline sometimes has a negative connotation because we don't like to be disciplined. But what's the root word of discipline? Disciple. That's a good thing. That's what we're supposed to be, disciples of Jesus. You know, it's not a negative thing. It's how God conforms you and I uh, into the image of Jesus Christ, the whole purpose for why we are saved. In 2 Corinthians 11.25, we got an example of this in Paul's life. I mean, storm came in Paul's life, not because of disobedience, but uh, because of discipline from God. So in 2 Corinthians 11.25, in this long, long list 
of storms that Paul faced while he was obedient to Jesus Christ. He says this, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned to death. Three times I was shipwrecked. So Paul knew what these guys were going through. In fact, it was worse. One time Paul says, I spent a whole night and a day adrift in the sea. Why? That's happened to Paul. All while he was serving God faithfully as a missionary. Why? There's no disobedience here. That was God's discipline. It was God's discipline or disciple making of Paul. He tells us earlier in 2 Corinthians 1.9, in the early part of that book, why, why, what was God's purpose in Paul experiencing all of this storm? Paul was real. He wasn't sugarcoating it. He said, I thought we, I was going to die. That's what he said. We expected to die, 2 Corinthians 1.9. But as a result of these storms, we stopped relying on ourselves and we learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. So that was the reason. Reliance on God alone, greater faith, That was God's reason for the storms in Paul's life. So whether it's caused by disobedience or whether it's caused by discipline for the Christian, for the believer, in both cases, um, we have to understand that um, the whole purpose isn't punitive. It isn't. Even in our disobedience, it's not for punishment. Who took our punishment? Jesus on that cross. I can't, can't do anything greater than that. His blood paid for the sin I did When I was four years old, his blood paid for the sin I did yesterday. His blood has paid for the sins I might do tomorrow. All right, so it's not punitive. It's not a punishment. Disobedience, discipline, either way, God's purpose in this is is purifying. Uh, That's the whole reason that we might find storms in our life in both of those cases. Now, where to seek assistance? Look at verse 38. So we know storms come. Now we know why they come sometimes. And verse 38, he was in the uh, hinder part of the ship. Who's he? Jesus. Jesus is in the back part of the ship. Uh, For some reason, I always pictured this as a small boat. I don't know why. Rodney showed us a picture of fishing boats, and they're pretty big, like they had a deck and an underneath part, but um, I don't know what size this was, but Jesus, where is Jesus here? According to verse 38, he's in the back part of the ship, the stern, um, and he's asleep on a, on a pillow. We got two portraits here in verse 38. We got a portrait of faith, and we got a portrait of fear. Jesus shows us the portrait of faith. What's he doing? He's on the board of the ship, Well, what is he doing on board the ship in the middle of this chaotic storm? He's sleeping. Waves crashing the ship. He must have been really tired. Water coming. I couldn't sleep all week because Fort Bragg had the boom booms going on, right? Jesus, sleep in this chaotic storm. And um, I think it's interesting where he is. There's a pillow there. It wasn't just for Jesus. They, I guess they would put pillows there for the, the helmsman. I don't know if they had the steering wheel or if it's just a rudder. Right, But if you were that guy, you had it a little easier than the guys mending the nets or mending the oars. You had a pillow back there. That's where Jesus is. He's sleeping. So, but I do think it's interesting that he's back there where the ship is guided, where the ship is directed. A beautiful blending here, I think, we see of the divinity of Jesus. We're going to see that in a minute. But here, the humanity of Jesus Christ. He's tired. <laughs> he's exhausted. Our, our Savior, 100% man, 100% God, and here he's, he's sleeping. But what a powerful portrait of faith in God's sovereignty we've got here and what faith in God's sovereignty should look like in the life of a follower of Jesus. If we follow him, 
even when storms come, we can have this level of peace that Jesus had. We can rest, knowing God is in control. Charles Spurgeon said this, the sovereignty of God is the pillow on which the Christian rests his head. That's what Jesus was doing here. In a circumstance that seemed chaotic, out of control, Jesus could rest peacefully, knowing that God was in complete control. We can learn a lot from Jesus here. This is what faith looks like. Do you truly know that character quality of God, that he is sovereign? I don't know if there's a more precious one in all of God's word. I think all of the others stem from that. I'm so glad he's loving and merciful and gracious, but to know that my Lord is in control of every single molecule that's floating around this room right now, there's such peace that comes from that. Just what Jesus had right here, that he's sovereign, we got to. Christian, you need to know. You need to rely. You need to have total trust, as we heard sung this morning. Total trust. Uh, faith without borders. This is what we need. Um, because storms come. We get a phone call. There's been an accident. They come unexpectedly. Sudden. We go to the doctor. We get a diagnosis or a report that wasn't what we had been praying for. It wasn't what we'd been hoping for. Will we have trust in God's sovereignty? Will we follow Jesus here? Will we have faith in his sovereignty to steady us in storms like this? That the sovereignty of God is the pillow on which I can rest my head, just like Jesus did. Could we echo what David said in Psalm 4.8? He says, I will both lay me down and sleep. I will both lay me down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, keep me safe. Sometimes I lay down, but I don't sleep. Still worried, still fretting, still figuring it out, still going through what I'm going to do next to rectify this. David says, I'll lay me down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, are the one who keeps me safe. That's what David did. That's what Jesus did in response to this storm. Based on both of them, their faith in God's sovereignty. But what about the disciples? We don't see a portrait of faith there. We see a, a portrait of fear. The second part of verse 38, right? They go to Jesus in the hinder part of the ship and they awake him, they shake him awake and they say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Now to their credit, they went to the right person. It's something you and I should learn from their example. They realized who they were on board with and we should follow their example that way. Look, their problem isn't who they went to. Their, their problem here is what they communicated when they went to him. Something we can learn from, too. Verse 38 records them saying, this is the only gospel that does it with this specificity or this tone, but it records them saying, Master, don't you care that we're going to die? That's what they say. Now, why could that be a problem? It doesn't display faith in God's sovereignty. <laughs> and, and really what we have here is an impugning of God's character. It's an assault on God's character. Yeah, they went to the right person. They went to their sovereign savior, but not without, not with a whole lot of faith in, in his sovereignty. They're saying, Jesus, the presence of this storm and your current response to it, that shows you don't care about us. Mm. Not a faith-filled prayer. Not a full of faith response to the storm. They say to Jesus, if you did care, you'd, you wouldn't have sent the storm. If you did care, you'd be doing something about it right now. And so here, it's important we get this. Here's the double-pronged attack of Satan against the sovereignty of God and against our faith in it. 
It's this, that God is either not great, that this is without, outside of his power, or that God is not good, that God is not good. And this has been Satan's one trick since Genesis 3. This is how he, when storms come into our life, when temptation comes into our life, this is what he uses. This is his one mode of operation. This is what he did to Adam and Eve. For them, it was um, that God's not good. He said, he told you not to eat of that tree. Yeah, I know. But you know why he doesn't want you to eat of that tree? Because when you do, you're going to be as smart as him. He's not a good God. He wants to keep stuff from you. That's what Satan tells us now in temptation. When storms come into our life, Satan often will say this. Either God's not powerful enough to handle it, or he wouldn't have sent it, or he's not good. He doesn't care. It's so sad, because I don't think we realize we're doing it. I don't think the disciples realize they're doing it, but we, we can come to God with the same attitude and tell him, I don't think you're good enough, God. I don't think you're great enough, God. Man, don't do that, believer. Have the eyes of faith. This is why God gave us this account, so that we can learn from it. Have the eyes of faith. Realize. Realize the lie of Satan in this. Realize it. Storms are terrible. <laughs> they are. But, but when you and I choose to impugn, like these disciples did here, when we choose to assault the character of God, when we choose to assault the greatness of God or the goodness of God, Man, we joined Satan in doing that. I don't want to be on that group. That's not what I want to communicate. We're on a road that's honestly completely opposite. We're, we're in a direction diametrically opposed to faith that's glorifying to him and good for us. And really the question here, the last question, the last few verses is this. What will spark awe? That's really what is at the crux of all of this. What will spark Awe, reverence, like that's awesome. What will spark awe in your life? Is it gonna be storms? Well, that's what it was for these disciples. Verse 39 says that he arose, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, he says, peace, be still, and the wind ceased, and then there was calm. But before that, right, it was the storms that sparked awe in the lives of the disciples. It's all they could see. It was all they could sense. They thought, we're gonna die. So they went to the Savior, didn't go to him in the best way, but they went to the sovereign Savior, and what did he do? We've got another but God situation here. God arose, Jesus Christ arose, and he spoke to the wind. He spoke to the sea. He says, peace. Not the normal peace we have in the New Testament. The Greek word there is Irene. That means peace. Uh, what he says here is silence, siopa. It's actually what he said earlier in Mark when he cast demons out of those two men, and the demons were making all kinds of racket, and he told them, silence. Same exact word he says here to the storm. Silence. And then he says, be still. And there's a perfect tense verb there, meaning be still now and stay still. Don't be coming up again. Stay still. And is that what you want him to say to your storm this morning? Is that what you want Jesus to say? I'm sovereign over the storm. Silence. Be calm. Remain calm, as A.J. read in Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. The awe of the disciples was, was the storm. It's what they chose to allow to demand their attention, to command their attention and their awe. And Jesus says here in verse 40 to them, after he rebuked the storm, he, he rebuked his disciples. He says, why are you so fearful? <laughs> 
Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? It's pretty stinging rebuke. When he says fearful here, there's two different words because the next verse um, uses a fear too. But this fearful is, is delos, which means, means cowardly. It's pretty much, it's kind of a punch in the gut for him. Why are you cowards? Don't you have any faith? Don't you believe? That's what he says to them. Why are you cowards? And so Jesus is telling them, he's asking us that when storms arise in our life, we're going to have a choice just like they did. Am I going to view my God in light of this great and awesome storm? Or am I going to view my great and awesome storm in light of my truly great, truly awesome, always, always good God? Which one am I going to do? That's the choice. Will I turn my eyes from the storm and to the Savior? That's what this asks us. And so what will spark our awe? Is it going to be storms? They're awesome. They are. But we're presented with something else here. It's a Savior. Look at verse 41. It says they feared exceedingly. Different word for fear, but kind of the same idea. Not cowardly. And here it means to be afraid. All right, it's phobio, to be afraid. It says they feared exceedingly. So we got an exceeding here. Before, they were afraid of the storm. But now they're fearing exceedingly. Fearing exceedingly. This is what their eyes and their awe eventually turn to. And where this section of scripture is pleading with you and I this morning to turn to when storms arise in our life. They've got a new fear. They've got a new awe. And it's their savior. I think this fear is a good fear though. That's what the Bible presents it at. Exodus 20, 20, uh, Moses had just come down from the mountain with the 10 commandments. All right, and um, it's kind of, it was kind of an awesome sight up there. Thunder, lightning. Moses was up there for a while. It's kind of, Kind of crazy events going on. They weren't real sure what. I mean, they'd already seen amazing things. Red Sea parted, things like that recently. And then when Moses comes down, the people come to him and they say, you know what, from now on, we would like it if you would just go to God and you bring what God wants to us. Um, we prefer he doesn't talk to us. In fact, we're, we're good way over here. <laughs> you be kind of our intermediary because uh, we're afraid. And this is what Moses tells them in Exodus twenty twenty. He says, fear not, fear not. For God has come to prove you that his fear may be before your faces. That's kind of a funny verse, right? Because it started off where Moses tells him, don't be afraid. And then about 10 words later, he says, and be afraid of the right person, of the right thing. He says, don't be afraid, but have fear of God, have a reverence for God. That's God's design here. You don't need to be afraid. And this is what we can learn from that. What we can learn from here is that when God's fear, when a fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom, as it says in Proverbs, when his fear is before our faces, it really isn't fear. It's a display of faith. And it's an awesome kind of fear because that fear drives out all other fears. That fear quiets any other fears that we might have this this reverence, this awe, this trust, this faith in the sovereignty of God. The disciples respond with uh, this faith. They're, they're fearing exceedingly now because they've seen Jesus calm the storm, quiet the waves, all right? And they say to each other, what manner of man is this? And that's just it. It's not a man. It's not, not just a man. We saw his uh, humanity and his sovereign sleeping <laughs> And now we see his divinity and his sovereign silencing of the storm. This is God. 
100% man, 100% God. This is Jesus, the sovereign Savior. Psalm 65, 7 says, God stills the roaring of the seas and the roaring of the waves. Psalm 89.9 is God who rules the raging sea and when its waves mount up, he stills them. And he did this for the disciples and he wants to do this for you and he can do this for you. Church, this is your savior. This is your sovereign savior, the one in whom you've placed your, if you're a believer, you've placed your faith and trust in him to forgive your sins, to give you eternal life. And this same one, he's great enough and he's good enough to sovereignly save you from the storms that are happening in our lives today. So my question is, for anyone here and anyone watching, have you ever got on board with him? I mean, has there ever been a time when you understood, I need you as my savior, and you turned from sin, and you turned from other ways trying to get right with God, and you said, I trust in Jesus and what he did for me alone, and I want to accept him as my savior. We're going to have a time of invitation in a minute, and if you've never done that, I invite you to do it today. I'd love to show you and come forward during that time. I'd love to show you. We got on the back of our bulletin what it means to be saved on our church website as well. There's nothing that's more important than this because listen to me, storms are going to come into your life whether you do that or not. But there's a big difference. There's a big difference when you're on board with him. Make sure that's the case. Now, Christian, you who already have got on board with him, can you praise God this morning for the eternal permanency of that? as we sang earlier, that that soul who on Jesus has leaned for repose, he'll never (laughs) desert to his foes, that he'll never leave you, that he'll never forsake you, that he's right there at the helm. He's right there with you in the storm. What a thing to praise him for. But will you choose to trust him in your storm? Pick it. You might be thinking about it already. What storm's going on? What storm have you just come through? What storm is, man, you're thinking it's coming any moment? Will you choose to trust him in that? Will you run to him for help, just as the disciples did? But will you do it a little differently, right? Not impugning his character, just trusting him, just worshiping him for that. Will you ask him to silence that storm you're just thinking about this morning? Will you ask him to silence you in the storm? That's another thing. Will you ask him this morning to tell your storm and to tell your heart peace. Be still. (laughs) Stay still. Stay still. It's important we do this. Um, We're in a time, not always, but I've seen aspects of it, when fear is celebrated as a virtue almost. It's not. Fear is not a virtue. Nowhere in the word of God. We got faith, love, joy, (laughs) a lot of virtues. But nowhere is fear ever celebrated as such. And as believers, we're called <laughs> to not exhibit that. We're called to exhibit faith. Fear and faith, they cannot exist in the same heart at the same time. They just can't. One's, one's got to go. One's got to go. Which one is it going to be this morning? That's what Jesus is asking us in this. Why are you so fearful? Why are we so cowardly? Don't you believe And of course, the answer is yes, we do believe. Lord, help our unbelief. So as we sing song of invitation, however God is calling on us to respond today, I just ask that you'd obey. Megan sang earlier, the wind and the waves, they still know his name. Do you believe that? They still obey him. 